Thank you, Cameron, and welcome to our Sunday evening worship service. We're glad that you're here. We are going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. I would invite you to turn if you have not, and we'll look at this text in just a moment or two. Appreciate so much your presence tonight. I know that there are a lot of other places that you could have chosen to be tonight, but the fact that you chose to be here, I think, is something to be said for you. And the fact that you wanted to come back, and so we appreciate that very much. We're appreciative of all who come back on a regular basis. I'd love to see more come back, but we'll take what we can get right now. We're glad that you're here. Tonight we're going to be talking about living in opposition to the truth. There are two possibilities in life. We can choose to live in obedience to truth, or we can choose to live in opposition to truth. Paul here talks about those who are living in opposition to God's Word. And of course the goal is to retrieve them so that they might enjoy the blessings of eternal life. In our study tonight, it's a very simple lesson. And really there are three key words. If you can remember these three key words, then you can remember the lesson. We're going to be talking, first of all, about education. Secondly, motivation. And thirdly, liberation. I want to begin tonight by talking for a moment or two about education. Because Paul spent some time talking about the importance of educating those who live in opposition to themselves. In verse 24, Paul said, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, or some translations may read strive, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Let me stop here and first of all talk about the characteristics of a teacher. And Paul here is talking about having the right attitude when we reach out to those who are living in opposition to the truth of God. As with anything, there is a right way and there's a wrong way to do things. There is a right attitude and there is a wrong attitude. And Paul here is talking about some characteristics that we ought to bring to the table when we talk to people who are living outside the will of God. There are certain characteristics that ought to be a part of who we are as God's people. So he says, first and foremost, we, we shouldn't be quarrelsome. It's easy for us sometimes when we talk to people who are living in opposition to truth, in opposition to the will of God, to become contentious quarrelsome. And Paul's saying that that shouldn't be a part of how we deal with people. I would grant we can stand for the truth and we can stand for what God says to stand for without being quarrelsome and contentious and arrogant. And then he said we need to be gentle to all. There's a lot to be said for maintaining a spirit of meekness. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about the importance of meekness. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meekness means strength under control. 
And there are times when we have to bridle ourselves when we talk to others about how they're living. It may be that we come with our guns loaded and there are things that we want to say, but it's not the time, it's not the place, it's not the way. And Paul here is saying we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. And then he said we're to be patient. Patience is not necessarily an easy virtue to demonstrate on a daily basis. And there are some people, because of the way they're living, it might be that we want to lash out and say things that we shouldn't say. There's a lot to be said for being patient with people and realizing that life is a journey and it may take them some time before the truth of God begins to settle in. I think about the words of Jesus on one occasion when he said to the apostles, and I'm going to lift this out of its context because in John chapters 14 through 16, he's talking to the apostles. And he's talking about how God would ultimately give them revelation through the Holy Spirit. But he said, I have many things to say unto you now, but you're not able to bear them. Sometimes we have to realize where people are in their spiritual lives and be slow and take our time, be patient with them. In Mark chapter 4, verse 33, it was said of Jesus that he taught the people the word of God as they were able to hear it. Some translations say as they were able to bear it. Again, we may have our guns loaded and there may be a lot of things that we want to say, but we need to just step back and be patient. And then Paul said in verse 25, in humility, being humble not arrogant or caustic, but rather demonstrating a spirit that says, I care about you. I care about where you are in your spiritual life. I'm concerned about you. Paul talks about speaking the truth in love and maintaining a humble spirit in everything that we do. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 1, Paul talks about those who might be overtaken in a trespass or in a fault. And he said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness. And then he said, considering your, yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so, again, demonstrating a meek and humble spirit. So the characteristics of a servant and then the competency of a servant or of a teacher. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 24. The servant of the Lord, he said, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. And then he said, able to teach. This has to do with the aptitude of those who teach. You can't teach somebody the truth of God if you don't know the truth of God. You remember in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5 when the writer there was speaking to people that had obeyed the gospel. They should have been at a point in time in their spiritual lives when they could have easily conveyed the fundamentals of the truth to somebody. But he said, wait a minute. You need somebody to sit down and teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. They had not grown. And so as people who are instructed by Jesus to teach others. We have to have a level of competency 
ourselves. I'm not saying that we have all the answers, but we ought to know what the Bible teaches. And if we don't know the answer, we ought to be willing and able to search it out. Paul taught in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the qualifications of a man that would serve as an elder is that he is to be apt or able to teach. That's what Paul's saying here. When we sit down and talk to people about their spiritual condition, we need to have a level of competency ourselves. If we can't quote it, we need to be able to turn to it. And really, the most effective way, let them read it. Let them see it in black and white so that they know it's God speaking and not you. Because people aren't concerned, they're not interested in what we think, but they are interested, hopefully and prayerfully, in what God says. So, first there's education. Secondly, there is motivation. What's the motivation? Well, listen to what Paul said, beginning in verse 24 again. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. First and foremost, when we talk to people, there has to be an awareness of sin, doesn't there? It's amazing that we live in a culture today when a lot of people just, in a very plain and forthright way, do not know what the Bible has to say about a lot of topics. You, can, you could stop somebody on the, on the street tonight and you could begin asking them a series of just basic, fundamental Bible questions and they wouldn't have an answer for it. There are a lot of people in our world today because we live in a pluralistic age in which any and everything goes. They have no concept of absolutes. So when you tell them, look, you can't live a certain lifestyle, it's foreign to their ears. They just don't know what the truth teaches. And there are people today, they're good-hearted. They make tremendous neighbors. They're loving mothers and fathers. They're great citizens in this country. But they don't understand the magnitude of sin. There are people even in the church that engage in behavior that's outside the boundaries of God's will. And sadly, sometimes they don't even know that. And so we have to educate them. We have to make them aware of sin. I know that Paul said in Romans chapter 3, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are people in the body of Christ, as James talks about, that wander from the truth in James chapter 5, verse 19. And he said, Let him... Know that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way. Sometimes we have to sit down with people that have left the faith and re-teach them the truth of God. We have to convert them again. And so, making people aware of sin. You remember David, back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, after his adulterous union with Bathsheba, it took Nathan the prophet going to him 
and making him aware of what he had done. It's hard for me to believe that David didn't realize he had done everything within his power to sweep it under the carpet so that no one would know what he had done. But God knew it. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet goes before him and makes him aware of the fact that, look, David, you messed up. So there has to be an awareness of sin. And then there has to be an acknowledgement of sin. Those who become aware of sin sometimes have to reflect upon their lifestyle. Let me give you an example. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read about a fellow by the name of Demas. If you go to Philemon 24, that is verse 24, Philemon is identified by the Apostle Paul as a co-laborer, that is a fellow laborer in the kingdom of God. Now, Paul wrote the book of Philemon in about A.D. 61 or 62, maybe even A.D. 63. So when he writes this book, some five or six years later, about A.D. 67 or 68, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas had to have known about the world and the dangers, the allurements of the world. And yet he fell prey to the world, didn't he? Sometimes when people get out in the world, they have to reflect upon their situation. Sometimes people have to realize where they are in life. There has to be this sense of awareness and then acknowledgement. A great example would be Luke 15, the prodigal son. You remember when the prodigal son went to his father and asked for his inheritance, his father granted that wish? And Jesus said in his narration of that parable that this young fellow went out and spent everything entrusted into his care with profligate or wasteful living. A famine arises. This guy spent everything. And Jesus said he began to be in want. When people hit rock bottom, sometimes they start looking upward, don't they? Jesus said in Luke chapter 15 and about verse 17, and he came to himself. That's awareness. It's when that light goes off. You just say, you know what? There's got to be a better way to live. There's got to be a better, a better life out there than what I'm, have, what I'm living today. There are a lot of people in our world today. If you were to stop them on the street corner and to ask them point blank, are you happy? They'd tell you no. If they're honest, they've tried the world, they've tried all these things that the world says will make you happy, bring you peace, give you satisfaction, make you content, and guess what? None of those things have happened. I mentioned some time ago a story that was conveyed about Elvis Presley. B.J. Clark and I were doing a counterpoint program, and we were talking about the the book of Ecclesiastes and how sometimes people look everywhere. They look in all the wrong places for happiness, don't they? And B.J. talked about when he was preaching at South Haven, making mention of Elvis Presley. He had seen an interview in which Elvis Presley had talked about how miserable he was in life. And so when he made that statement from the pulpit, there were some visitors in the audience on that occasion. 
They heard him make that statement and they said, we haven't been to church in years. First time we come back and we hear you talk about Elvis. Interestingly, they said, we were in that room. And the guy doing the interview tried to tell Elvis, you know you're wrong. You know that's not the case. But Elvis said, Elvis wouldn't recant. He wouldn't back up. The lady that comes to our Tuesday morning Bible class, she's a member at Collierville. She just recently saw that program. She came to me one Tuesday morning about a week or so ago, and she said, I need to talk to you. She said, I worked at Graceland for 15 years. And she said, what y'all said about Elvis Presley was absolutely true. Elvis's aunt worked across the hall from her. And she talked about how during his lifetime, during those, as we would call them, glory days, Elvis would look out the window at Graceland. He'd see all these people out there, and he'd ask the question, don't these people have a home? I just want to be left alone. And she said, he was miserable. Makes me think about what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In chapters 1 and 2, he talks about all the things that he has in life. And here's what he said, and so I hated life. Most folks in the world, if you were to say, would you like to be like Elvis? They'd say, don't you know it. That's what they're striving for. That's what people in the entertainment industry want to be and yet here's a guy that had everything but listen he had nothing nothing so sometimes people in the world they think they have everything and they don't the prodigal son he may have thought he had everything at one time but really didn't have anything and then once he was wiped out he realized you know what I don't have anything so that light went off began to ask the question, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish here with hunger? He said, I will arise and go to my father and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. There was awareness and there was an acknowledgement. That is repentance. Now listen to what Paul said in verse 25, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. That's what we're talking about. The motivation is, look, I realize there's a better way of life out there. There is the realization my life is in opposition to the truth of God there's got to be something better. And so there is a willingness to walk away from a lifestyle, to walk away from a life of sin. And then thirdly, there is liberation. Education, motivation, and liberation. Note, if you would, verse 26. Paul said that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. There are some people that are entangled 
in the snare of the devil. First, they're in bondage. They may not know it, but they're in bondage. You remember Jesus talked about those who are living in sin. He said they are literally the bondservant of sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Paul here is talking about people that are in bondage. They're in captivity. They are imprisoned by sin. So there is the bondage of sin and the burden of sin. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus said, Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. There are people in our world that are so weighed down by the weight of sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talks about those who have the weight of sin strapped on to them. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, the way, the way of the transgressor is hard. I've seen some folks in this world, and they've made a mess of their lives. And they're guilt-ridden, they're hurting, they're sad, they're discontent, they're dissatisfied, they're angry sometimes. Why is that? Because of sin. Sin promises people the world. That's what the devil does. He's a master at that. The devil wants you to think the world is yours and all that comes with it. The devil wants you to believe that this world can offer you everything. Here's what Jesus asked. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So, those who are entangled in the devil's snare, they're in bondage and they're burdened. They're hurting. What about escaping, though? Escaping the devil's snare. Listen to what Paul said again. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Those who are living in sin, they're doing the devil's will. Spiritually speaking, we can have one of two fathers. Either God is our father or the devil is our father. You remember in John chapter 8, verse 44, when Jesus said, You are of your father the devil? Speaking to the Jews of his day, what an indictment. There are a lot of people in our world today, they may not know it, but the devil is their spiritual father. So Paul here said, The goal is to escape captivity. How do we do that? Well, if we're not a Christian, by obeying the gospel. To realize that we can lay aside a life of sin. Jesus said many, many years ago, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said in that same text, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. To know that Jesus came to give us liberation from sin. To free us. In John chapter 8 verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? He said, It'll make you free. When you obey the gospel of Christ, you enjoy freedom. Freedom from sin. 
That's exactly what he's saying. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, verse 36, he said, If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. To be free. Free from the clutches of sin and free from the condemnation of sin. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. All who are in sin are on death row, condemned, lost, without hope and without God. And yet Paul said in Christ, there's no condemnation. Now, having said all of that, I want you to listen again to verse 26. Paul here writing about people who need to come to their senses, who need to escape the snare of the devil, because they've been taken captive by him to do his will. It might be that you're here tonight and rather than living in obedience to the truth of God, you've been living in opposition to the will of God. Sometimes we live beneath the knowledge we possess. And by that I simply mean we know what the Bible teaches. We know how God wants us to live. We know the expectations of a Christian. We just choose not to do it. Is it possible that tonight is the night that you will make the decision to escape the snare of the devil and come home? If you've never obeyed the gospel, I'd encourage you to do that. Right now, time is on your side because you've got life the Lord hasn't come. And Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. He also said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. He further said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, to, you're not living for God. In 1 John chapter 1, John said, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, he said, We lie and do not the truth. There are some who claim to have fellowship with God, but by the way that they live, it's a contradiction. And John's saying, If that be the case, you're living in opposition to the truth, and you need to come home. Here's the remedy, 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?